Chapter Fifteen of The Madman and the Pirate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Lucy Burgoyne. The Madman and the Pirate by R. M. Ballantyne. Chapter Fifteen. And now, once again, we find ourselves in the palm grove of Ratinga Island. It is a fine autumn afternoon. The air is still as regards motion, but thrilling with the melody of merry human voices as the natives labour in the fields, and alive with the twittering of birds as they make love, quarrel, and make it up again in the bushes. Now and then a hilarious laugh bursts from a group of children, or a hymn rises from some grateful heart, for as yet there is no secular music in Ratinga. In the lagoon lies a man of war, its sails neatly furled, and its trim rigging, dark hull, and taper spars perfectly reproduced in the clear water. As the sun sank lower towards the west, our friend Ebony might have been seen slowly climbing the side of one of the neighbouring hills, with Richard Roscoe, the ex-pirate, on his back. "'Set me down now, my friend,' said Roscoe. "'You are far too good to me, and let me know what it is you have to say to me. You have quite roused my curiosity by your nods and mysterious manner. Out with it now.' whatever it is. The negro had placed Roscoe in such a position on a ledge of rock that he could see the lagoon and the ship at anchor. The ex-pirate had by that time recovered some of his former strength, and, although there rested on his countenance an air of profound sadness, there mingled with it a hue of returning health which none who saw him land had expected to see again, but the care of gentle hands and the power of gladsome emotions had wrought miraculously on the man, body and soul. I heard Masser and Captain Fitzroy talking about you, said the negro, crossing his arms on his chest, and regarding his questioner with a somewhat quizzical expression. Ah, I thought so. I am wanted, eh? Well, yes, you's wanted, but you's not get it yet, so far as I knows. Ah, Ebony, returned Roscoe, shaking his head. I have long expected it, and now I am prepared to meet my deserved fate, like a man. I may humbly say, a Christian man, thanks to God, the Saviour, and Zephyr, the instrument. But tell me, what did the commander of the man-of-war say? What did he say? Well, I's tell you. First he hoed into Mrs. House, and shook hands with Mrs., also with Mrs. Warunga, what happened to be widow, and him so friendly dat he nigh shook a de bonnet off her head. Den dey talk bout good many things, and after a while de cap'n turned full on massa and say, I's told Miss Zappa 
statue's got dat William Roscoe, de pirate here. Ho, you should have seen poor Massa's face, how it grow long. I most think it also grow a little pale, and Missus she gives a squeak, what she couldn't help, and Betsy she give a groan and jump up, slap on her's bonnet back to de front, and begin to clear out, but de captain jump up and stop her. Many apologies, says de hypocrite, for stopping a lady, but I don't want any alarm given. You know that de pirate's life and forfeited in his country, so of course you'll give him up. And what said Zeppa to that? asked Roscoe eagerly. I's just a gonna tell ya, massa. You see, I's in de back kitchen, and de time and heard every word. Well, see massa, awfully slow and unwilling like. I cannot deny that Roscoe is in the island, but I do assure you, sir, that he is quite unable to do any further mischief to anyone, for a massa stop all of a sudden. Well, says de cap'n, why you not go on? Has you a description of him? he asked. Oh, yes, says de cap'n, drawing out a paper and reading it. De very ting, as like you it was as two peas, even to the small mole on side of you's nose. But it's saying nothing about his feet. Clearly he never heard of that, and massa he noticed that. Seems to me, for he says, Well, Captain Fitzgerald, it may be your duty to seize this pirate and deliver him up to justice, but it's no duty of mine to help you. Ah, uh, and as to dat, says the cap'n, I'll easily find him without your assistance. I have a party of men with me, and no one knows or even suspects the reason of my visit. But all of you who now hear me must promise not to say a word about this matter till my search is over. I believe you to be an honourable Christian, Zeppa, who cannot break his word. May these ladies be relied on. Day may, says Massa, in a voice of woe, dat a most made me cry. So when I hear dat I tinks to myself, Oh, you British hypocrite, you's not so clever as you tinks, for Ebony's got to winners ob you, and with dat I slips out of de back, winder and run to yous cottage, and ask if you'd like to have a ride on my back as usual, and you say yes, and now yours here, and I dare say de captain lookin' for you. It is very kind of you, Ebony, said Roscoe, with a deep sigh and a shake of the head. Very kind, both of you and Zeppa, but your efforts cannot now avail me. Just consider, if the description of me possessed by Captain Fitzgerald is as faithful and minute as you say, the mere absence of my feet could not deceive him. Besides, when I am found, if the commander of the man of war asks me my name, I will not deny it. I will give myself up. But if you do, they will hang you, said Ebony, in a somewhat exasperated tone. Even so, it is my fate, and I deserve but it would be murder to hang an innocent man, what's been reformed, 
and don't mean for to do no more mischief. Not only so, but can't. I fear you won't get the broken law to look at it in that light, Ebony. Broken law? What does I care for the broken law? But tell me, Massa, have you make up your mind to give yourself up? I have, returned Roscoe sadly. Quite sure and certain? Quite, returned Roscoe, with a faint smile at the poor negro's persistency. Well, then, you come and have a last ride on my back. Surely you no can refuse so small a favour to this yar black hoss what's carried you so off him afore you die. Of course not, my poor fellow, but to what purpose, of what use will it be to delay matters? It will only prolong the captain's search needlessly. Oh, never mind. There's good lots of huts in the place to keep the hypocrite going. Plenty of time for a last little ride. Besides, I want you to see a place I discover not long ago. Most curious place you never see. Come along, then, said Roscoe, thinking it right to humour one who had been more like a brother than a servant to him during his long illness. Stoop down. Now, then, heave. In a twinkling, Roscoe was on the back of his black horse, which carried him a considerable distance in among the hills. Ah, Ebony, said the rider at last, I feel sure you are deceiving me, that you hope to conceal me here, but it is of no use, I tell you, for I won't remain concealed. No, Massa, I not deceive you, I bring you here to show you the stronary place I have discover, and ask you what you think of him. Well, show it me quickly, and then let us hasten home. Without replying, the negro clambered up a somewhat steep and rugged path which brought them to the base of a low precipice, which was partially fringed with bushes. Pushing one of these aside, he entered a small cabin, not much larger than a sentry box, which seemed to have no outlet, but Ebony, placing his right foot on a projection of rock, just large enough to receive it, raised himself upwards, so as to place his left foot on another projection, which enabled him to get on what appeared to be a shelf of rock. Rising up, he entered another cabin. A strange place truly, but very dark, said Roscoe. Does it extend far? You'll see, just now, muttered the negro, obtaining a light by means of flint and steel, with which he kindled a torch. You see, I's been exploring here before, and got things ready. So saying, he carried Roscoe through several winding passages, until he gained a cavern so large and high that the torch was unable to reveal either its extent or its roof. Wonderful! Why did you not tell us of this place before, Ebony? Because I only just discover him. About a week past. I think him splendid place for hide our women and children in, if we's ever attacked by savages. 
See, I even make some few preparations. Got straw in the corner for lie on. Soon get meat and drink, if him's required. Very suitable indeed. But if you have brought me here to hide, as I still suspect, my poor fellow, you have troubled yourself in vain, for my mind is made up. That's very sad, Massa, very sad, returned Ebony, with a deep sigh. But you no object, sit on de straw for a bit, and let me rest. There now, you's growin' heavier every day, Massa. I stick de torch here for light. Look, here, you see, I have a few things. This is one big of rope, with a loop on him. And what may that be for? asked Roscoe, with some curiosity. For tie up our enemies, when we's catched em. This way, you understand? As he spoke, Ebony passed the loop over Roscoe's shoulders, and drew it tight so as to render his arms powerless, and before the latter realized what he was about, his legs were also securely bound. "'Surely you do not mean to keep me here by force,' cried Roscoe angrily. "'I's much afraid, Massa. That's exactly what I mean. Come, come, Ebony. You have carried this jest far enough. Unbind me. Very sorry to oblige you, Massa, but that's impossible just now. I command you, sir, to undo this rope, cried Roscoe fiercely. There's a good deal of the old ring about dat, sir, but is not a pirate capper now, and I ain't one of de pirate crew. Roscoe saw at once the absurdity of giving way to anger, and restrained himself. But you cannot restrain my voice, Ebony, he continued, and I promise you that I will shout till I am heard. Shout away, Massa, much as you please. Bust your lungs, if you like, for you're in the bowels of the hill here. Roscoe felt that he was in the Negro's powers and remained silent. I was very sorry to leave you tied up, said Ebony, rising to quit the place. But when the men is foolish like little boys, they must be treated the same. This drawer will keep you comfortable. I daren't leave the torch, but I'll soon send you food by a sure messenger, and come back myself soon as ever I can. Stay, Ebony, I'm at your mercy, and as no good can come of my remaining bound, I must give in. Will you unbind me if I promise to remain quiet? With pleasure, said the negro cheerfully, as his glistening teeth showed themselves. You promise to wait here till I come for you? I promise. And you promise not to shout? I do. In a moment the rope was cast off, and Roscoe was free. Then Ebony, bidding him keep up his heart, glided out of the cavern and left him in profound darkness. Captain Fitzgerald searched the island, high and low, far and wide, without success, being guided during the search chiefly by Ebony. That wily negro, on returning to the village, 
found that the search had already begun. The captain had taken care that no one, save those to whom he had already spoken, should know what or who he was searching for, so that the pirate might not be prematurely alarmed. Great, therefore, was his surprise when he was accosted by the negro, and asked in a mysterious manner to step aside with him out of earshot of the sailors who assisted him. "'What have you got to say to me, my man?' he asked, when they had gone a few yards into the palm grove. "'You's looking for the pirate,' said Ebony, in a hoarse whisper, and with a superhumanly intelligent gaze. "'Why, how came you to know that?' asked the captain, somewhat perplexed and thrown off his guard. "'Ho, ho!' laughed Ebony in a subdued voice. How's I comes to know that, eh? I come to knows many things by putting dis and that together. You's cap'n of man of war. Well, you no come here for nothing. Well, Roscoe, de pirate, de horrible scoundrel, him's lib here. Of course, you come for look for him. Officers of de British Navy got nothing else to do but cutch a hang sitch varmints, eh? Is right? Well, no, returned Captain Fitzgerald, laughing. Not altogether right, as to the duties of officers of the British Navy. However, you're right as to my object, and I see that this pirate is no friend of yours. No friend? Oh, no, not at all. Him's far more nor that. I love him as a brother, said the negro with intense energy. Captain Fitzgerald laughed again, for he supposed that the negro spoke ironically, and Ebony extended his thick lips from ear to ear because he foresaw and intended that the captain would fall into that mistake. Now you lose no time in search for him, said Ebony and dish your nigger will show you de way. Do, my fine fellow, and when we find him, I'll not forget your services. You's very good, a most too good, said Ebony, with an affectionate look at his new employer. So, as we have said, the village and island were searched high and low without success. At last, while the searching party was standing, baffled on the shore farthest from the village, Captain Fitzgerald stopped abruptly, and looking Zephyr in the face, exclaimed, Strange, is it not, and the island so small comparatively? Quite unaccountable, answered Zephyr, who, with his son, had at last joined in the search out of sheer anxiety as to Roscoe's fate. Most perplexing, said Orlando. Most amazing, murmured Ebony, with a look of disappointment that baffles description. Suddenly the negro pointed to the beach, exclaiming, Oh, I knows it now. Look there. You see two small canoes? There were three canoes, dare yesterday. De tide one of them. Dare now. Look. 
They all looked eagerly at the horizon, where a tiny speck was seen. It might have been a gull or an albatross. Impossible, said Zeppa. Where could he hope to escape to in that direction? No island within a thousand miles. A desperate man does anything, Massa. Well, I shall soon find out, for the wind blows in that direction, said the captain, wheeling about and returning to his ship. Soon the sails were spread, the anchor weighed, the coral reef passed, and the good ship was leaping merrily over the sea in pursuit of the pirate, while Ebony was seated on the straw beside Roscoe, expanding his mouth to an extent that it had never reached before, and causing the cabin to ring with uproarious laughter. End of chapter 15